Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Zero to 10 podcast, where we focus on helping business owners on their zero to $10 million journey. This podcast is the intersection of strategy, tactics, trends, and even a little bit of inspiration to help you grow your business and achieve your goals. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Today, I welcome Kobe Simmet to the podcast. Kobe is an Australian-based business coach, entrepreneur, speaker, and the founder and CEO of Best Practice Biz, a global business improvement agency. As one of Australia's leading business consultants, he has over 25 years experience. This makes Kobe the perfect guest for this podcast. Today, we dig into his zero to 10 journey from a freelance consultant to the CEO of a multinational company. We also discuss his approach to hiring and their culture. It's actually a really fascinating discussion. His approach, I think, is, is interesting and is worth listening to. We talk about his transition from working in his business to actually running it. And we dig into his scaling in the digital first world. He lets us in on his best practices and we talk about what's working, what hasn't been working, and maybe what he would have done differently. We also spend a little time brainstorming the best areas to start a new business. So I guarantee you should bookmark this episode and we'll get a lot of value out of it. And as a favor, if you listen to this podcast, please do subscribe on iTunes or hit the follow button on Spotify. It'll help us greatly. Now, let's get this interview started. Hey, Kobe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. Great to be here. Uh, it's definitely my pleasure. And yeah, you can tell with the light going down in the back that we're coming international. So all the way from Sydney, Australia, or just outside of Sydney? Yeah, just north of Sydney on the beautiful northern beaches. We've got 25 of the world's greatest beaches right out the front here. It's it's paradise. Jealous. My first international office is going to be in, in Australia. So Lockdown, once we finally get moved past, you look for expansion for me over into your part of the world. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I'll save you a desk right by me. Or on the beach, hopefully. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we, can go, we can go virtual. All right. So, Kobe, to get, to get us started, why don't you, you know, share with the audience a little bit about your background and what you're going at, working on today, and then uh, I'll take us back through a, a quick journey of, of what you're working on. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. So um, I run a firm called Best Practice. We uh, started that firm in 2004. And essentially what I'm, I'm really passionate about is I'm really passionate about creating organizations that are great places to work. It's about empowering leadership and empowering teams to do great work and empowering team members to kind of understand what their why is and their vision and purpose. To also have those organizations have an amazing buying experience so I'm really, I have a huge amount of empathy and I empathize with the customer of our customers. And then the final part of kind of what I'm driven by is that those organizations become good investments. And, you know, it, it can start with, um, you know, it can start with a business owner saying, you know, I'm going to start my own business. Um, you know, it's not always about the money. It's about, about working, you know, getting up every Monday morning and being excited about the work that you're doing. And so, you know, we, we have those kind of three key stakeholders that are part of our passion. So working with teams and putting team members first, working with customers and putting customers, you know, kind of second, if you like, and then, and then by and large, that creates a huge amount of value for the, for the stakeholders. And I've, I guess I've played with which order of priority uh, we put people in, but um, in the, in the wise words of Richard Branson, he says, you know, if you put your staff first, you put your team members first, they'll put your customers first, and then it's going to pay dividends, um, you know, literally. So, so best practice is all about anything under that vision is fair game. So we work with teams. I'm very passionate about that um, and, and le leadership development and then individual empowerment. Um, and then obviously focusing on, keep focusing on this customer experience. So you do those things and the money comes. So yeah, we've been doing that since 2004. We rebranded to best practice in 2009. Um, you know, initially we were a management consultancy company. My background is in management, general management. That's what I studied couple of different, um, you know, diplomas and, and bachelor degrees. And, and I think I've arrived at this point in my career because I spent a lot of time giving people unsolicited advice, <laughs> right? you know, and I just, I've, I can talk a lot. I can talk underwater with a mouthful of marbles and, um, you know, and, you know, put my head in a fish tank. I won't stop talking. So I think, um, you know, it, I've gotten to a point where I, I do see 
opportunities for improvement, I can't help but open my mouth and say something. And, and so what I've personally been doing myself is trying to go on this journey of, well, how can I be a better coach? How can I be more influential? And so, you know, that that's where we're at with best practice. And, and you know, we picked a term in 2009 that we just thought was a good idea, but now people use it every day. They're saying best practices. Yeah. So, uh, that's where we're at. So we kind of, we've kind of slid into third base right at the right time with our brand, which has been, yeah. Well, and time, and that's one of the biggest reasons why I had the podcast is, you know, a lot of the times I'll have founders that have gone through a startup journey, but you know what, they're, they're not necessarily founders, right? At some point you lose the founder title and you become a business owner and, you know, you start to expand. And like I said, your journey has gone through many pivots over the years. And at the end, I do want to get into, man, how the markets have changed, dynamics changed, you know, how can we take advantage of this? But first, let's go back, right? So what were you doing before you started best practice? And did you, did you always knew you wanted to start a business and just said, hey, what, what can I do? Or how did you, how did you take the first step? Yeah, look, uh, you know, if, if I think about high school and I think about, you know, I go all the way back to 13 years old and, you know, sitting in a class with my social science teacher and he says to everybody, you know, you're doing a little case study and you're filling out a little bit of paper, a sheet of paper. And he says, uh, you know, what does everyone, everyone want to be? And, you know, there's like, oh, I'm going to be a fireman and I'm going to be a policeman. And I'm going to be a nurse and I'm going to be a pilot. And, and you know, I, I grew up in a high school where there was a lot of 50% of the fathers, you know, it was at a time in the, in the 80s when, you know, when, you know, not all of the mothers worked. I guess some of the mothers were starting to work. Um, it was very much a kind of, you know, middle class suburban area. And um, a lot of the dads worked in banking. You know, they were, you know, had been tellers and worked their way into middle level management in the banks. And I'm filling out this form and I said, I'm going to be a business owner. (laughs) (laughs) So so at 13 years old and, you know, he said, well, what do you want to be? And I said, well, look, I'm going to be an architect because my dad was an architect and it wasn't an architect working for someone. It was like, no, 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 I'm going to design houses for people and I'm probably going to build them. And, and, you know, so I, I guess I grew up in a family where my dad was a business owner. Um, I don't know any different. I don't know how to, to do a nine to five. I don't know what, you know, switching off and switching on is. Like I wasn't taught that, that we don't, I didn't have that example set for me. I had an example of you go on holidays and while you're on holidays, you look at sites and you go to inspections and you go to townhouse developments or hotels that are being built and, you kind of, oh, cool, you know, dad's, you know, we're going on holidays and we're going to get to stay in a hotel and we're going to go to the theme parks. And dad's like, we'll go to the theme parks after we've been to this building site and this building site and this building site. And then, you know, in the half a day of the end of the week, you know, on the Friday afternoon, you get to go to the theme park <laughs> just as it's closing, you know? Yeah. Well, that's normal holiday for everybody, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, that, you know, that's my story. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. One, I don't think I can tell you from experience, you didn't miss anything by not doing the nine to five or the, the corporate job. I do like to think it taught me a lot of things more what I really wanted to do better late than never. But it, you're right. It was just a, a different time. And it's what you learned. I mean, quite honestly, coming out of high school, I thought I was going to be a game warden, which here mean that Matt monitors, you know, the lakes and the parks and, you know, that type. Of, my idea is outside all day, you know, not a care in the world. But then, you know, you got it taste of business. I'm like, all right, <laughs> maybe the game worn thing is something I can do in retirement, but you know, enjoyed the, the challenge of it. So, all right. So what was the first company where you do, did you start something solo in the consulting space and then expanded it? What, how did that kind of evolve? Yeah, look, I guess, um, you know, as, as you do, you kind of finish high school and, you know, I worked at a general store uh, through high school you know, I guess the, the trials and tribulations of small businesses, my dad's business didn't go very well. He's an incredible architect, but the actual business side uh, didn't go real well. And then in the collapse of the late 80s, the global financial crisis of the 80, late 80s, my family's, you know, his business struggled and the building industry collapsed. Eventually, the whole business collapsed. So, so my journey is, is kind of tied to that because I was essentially self-funded from when I was 15. So, so whereas, you know, I grew up in a middle-class area where, you know, my friend's parents kind of give them some money to go do things on the weekend. I worked on the weekend for my money to, to spend. Right. Um, so I got, a, I got a job when I was 14 and a half uh, cleaning. Um, so so we, we grew up near a river and I would go down to the general store and they had hire boats, fishing boats. And so I would clean out all the bait and, you know, shrimp and everything out of the, out of the you know, smelly shrimp out of the bottom of the 
of the higher boats and then eventually progressed to be the manager of that business. So finishing high school, I started a business diploma straight out of high school because I had been running this business. And so I, I literally, it was natural progression for me to go do that because I'd been working as much as I possibly could, school holidays, afternoons, weekends, I didn't study at high school. So I kind of failed everything at high school and, and I didn't get myself into university. And so then I basically, you know, did these casual jobs in hospitality. So I studied, kind of had this hospitality thread. That business diploma was one of the best things that ever happened to me because at 19 and 19 years of age, then 20, when we finished, we finished high school here in Australia in, at 18. And then 1920, I did two years full-time business diploma, every practical component of running a five-star hotel. Okay. And it taught me, taught me budgeting, cash flow, industrial relations, leadership, business plans, marketing, um, you know, legal studies, contract law, um, you know, taught me how to cook, taught me how to clean, taught me how to, you know, hospital, all the parts of every single component of a five-star hotel, bartending. You know, we did really funny story. We did uh, wine appreciation studies on a Friday morning. Friday morning. (laughs) On a Friday morning, which made team building and negotiation skills on a Friday afternoon really interesting. (laughs) So I have this incredible wine collection now as a result of that. So that set me up to go to do two things. I I dragged myself through that into a university degree. So I did five years of full-time study straight out of high school. Remember, I was a student that got Fs in everything. And then I went straight into a college, what we call a college, two years, and then a, then a, then a university for three years. So then I came out of that and I was like, well, what do I do? And so I kind of always had this, well, I'm, I know how to run a business. It's only really a case of getting myself in the right position. Right. So I did do a couple of full-time jobs, but essentially, you know, that was, that was probably a total of about three years. And that's kind of my mid-20s. And I started the business, this business, when I was 27. Okay. And was there an idea? What was the, I always keep it super simple, man. What was the problem you were looking to solve initially? Where, what was the opportunity? The problem I was looking to solve was how do I pay a mortgage? Um, (laughs) (laughs) But um, look, I I just was freelance. So I, I, I literally just, my business started as me as a solo consultant with business advice, you know, writing policy procedure, setting up systems in business. And I had a little bit of experience kind of you know, in part of the full-time job I had, they're not notable, the jobs that I did, they were kind of just with a couple of different organizations, you know, at the coalface and then systems and process kind of stuff. I did a bit of public speaking and training, you know, training people, but I literally started when a client, I I quit a job because I was like, I know this is not for me. I didn't know what to do, but I quit my job and and my wife actually gave me an ultimatum at the time. And we've been together 25 years, I think. And, and we'd been together a couple of years and she said, look, you're working really hard in this full-time job. I never see you. You need to do something. And so I was like, all right, I burnt myself out. I'm going to quit. I'm going to sit on the beach and go surfing. And a client called up and said, hey, can you come and do a couple of days worth of work for us? So I literally just started freelancing, um, helping companies, you know, get it organized essentially. And that turned, you know, here we are now, um, you know, I have a team of 70 people essentially doing you know, different versions and yeah. spoke parts of that work um, now 17 years later. That's awesome. Congrats on that, by the way. Um, I know it, I'm sure it wasn't easy along the way, but I kind of, I love those that start kind of organically, right? Or I just had uh, a guy who started up building a workflow company because he had a certain consulting business that he started, not too dissimilar to what you did, but then it's like, man, us managing this is a pain. Couldn't find it in the marketplace, so he's now started a software company. <laughs> And I just yeah. love that because it makes, I love those stories. Nothing wrong with, hey, I'm out of college. I've got an idea. Let me go raise $2 million and see if I can build something. I don't know. Maybe I'm old fashioned, old school, but I like the stories where you start and you build and it, it, it makes sense. It's something that you're, you're tied to. So kind of curious, you know, as we say, there's no overnight success, you know, 10 year overnight success in building. And, you know, you and I have talked offline before about, you know, even 10 years ago, five years ago, how you build and scale a business is very different than, than what it is today. So one, I do, I do want to go back a little bit because I love kind of the, the tipping point stories when it's you, you can bring in business, you're, the, you're in the middle of everything, right? So I like to say that's the, the one-to-one journey, right? One-to-one sales, everything's one-to-one, we can bring and get it through. 
But then when you go to one to many, right, it creates most companies don't actually get to the one to many because they can't figure it out. Or if they do, they can't figure out how to process and get all the work done that they've done. So kind of curious if anything you learned or you got right <laughs> when you're first starting to scale, had to bring people in, you had to cut connect with more yeah. customers. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I, I can't remember if I told you this story offline, but like in 2008, um, you know, my wife gave me this ultimatum. Um, she had been at her full-time job for 10 years and she got what we have here is called long service leave. Okay. And so you get, um, at, at, you make 10 years in, in the Australian uh, environment and then you get, um, you essentially get three months off. You get three months of pay. So you can you can take a three month break or you can spread it out, whatever you know. You can do it, kind of work with your employer and say, "Hey, I'm going to take this." My wife's a traveler; she's a backpacker. She's a she's got to be out. You know, she she. If you say, "Hey, pull out your spreadsheet, let's plan an international holiday," she starts getting twitchy. <laughs> um, so so she says to me, "Look, I've got my long service leave coming up." It was about June 2007, and she said, um, "In next year." After we get through our, the holiday season with, with summertime in, in the Southern Hemisphere, Christmas, she says, I'm going to take off and I'm going to go and do South America. And, we're going to, and I'm going to travel down the West Coast of South America. You can come or you can stay home. <laughs> so, so remember, this is 2007. I started the business in 2004. I'm three years into it. I'm like right in the thick of my, I'm in everything. I'm doing 80-hour weeks, 90-hour weeks. You know, it's just my, my head is totally occupied with it. Um, we had, uh, you know, we had bought uh, our first piece of real estate. We were looking at our next piece of real estate. I got team issues. I got people starting, starting to grow the business. And she says, I'm going to, I'm going to go on a 12 week holiday. I'm like, oh my God. So anyway, I'm in an airport and I go in. One of the things I've always done is whenever I'm I'm in an airport, I go into the bookstore and I will buy three or four or five, whatever I can fit in my bag, my carry on bag books, business books. Whatever's being marketed, I just buy them like $30, $50. You know, I'll go in and spend $200 and I just add them to my library. I'll read them later. Anyway, I go in and I see this book on the shelf, How to Grow Your Business by Taking Three Months Off. <laughs> and I'm like, perfect uh, timing. So there's a signal. So that's the signal. For, that was the tipping point. Now, I, I don't even know where that book is now. It's around, I've got to find it and, and, you know, add it back into my library. But I was like, well, it's obviously, it's obviously you can achieve it. So what I did was a couple of things. The first thing I did, and if, if you're a business owner listening to this and you want to kind of say, hey, I haven't had a holiday, I focused on building up the cash in the bank. And so literally, I'm, this is simple stuff, right? I just went, right, if I make sure there's enough cash to pay everybody's wages and salaries while I'm away, enough in the bank, then they can kind of sit and do nothing, right? And they're still employed. They can kind of answer the phone. They'll be there. They might break things and and make mistakes. Okay, that's fine. But if there's enough money for three months of trading in the bank, we're okay. Yeah. So I did that. I basically went, okay, build up the cash balance. So I I calculated the wages and salaries at the time, which was probably peanuts compared to now. Um, (laughs) And and I said, right, let's make sure. And it might have been, you know, $20,000, $30,000, $40,000. I can't remember. But, you know, let's put that in the bank. So I did that. Then I just went on this selling spree and I just made sure that I sold everything, you know, so many, set up so many projects that they literally had 12 weeks worth of work ahead of them. And so there was money in the bank, there was projects to do. And so I was like, great. They, they, they're literally wages and salaries are covered. Projects are covered. They're, they're set. And then I got this notebook this black notebook, A4-shaped notebook with spiral bound, and I wrote the book of 50 things to do. And I left them with this enormous to-do list. And I said, if anybody has got nothing to do, open that book and do the things like work through the list. So I came home from three, so I took three months off. I went to South America. I went into, I went into our local telco store and I said, I need a mobile phone that's going to work in South America. They're like, there's no cell service over there. That's it's a third world country. And I got there. And, and, and so I went, all right, well, I won't take a phone. So I literally delegated 100%. So I think that's the lesson for small business owners, particularly who want to scale is you've got to delegate and elevate. You've got to do less to be able to do more. 
Like it's not just do more, do more, do more. And that's the mistake that a lot of small business owners make. And that's the tipping point. You've got to do less to do more. So less than more. So you've got to, you know, you've got to clear your calendar before you can fill it again with, with stuff. So I got to this point where, and I want to blend, I want to tell a long story, but blend in some lessons. So then I was like, right, off we go. I get to South America. There's self-service everywhere. In fact, it's better than the <laughs> Of course, sir. So I could have had a mobile phone. I could have been talking, you know, anyway. So, so it was good for the business. I came home and that was the day I got home was literally the day the global financial crisis of 2008. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't realize at the time, like I kind of, I came home and, and we had no work. They, they had done all the projects. They had spent their wages. We were then, we had good accounts receivables so we were collecting money, but we had no one had any work to do. So I was like, that's okay. So I literally had to go back into sale mode. What I realized I hadn't delegated sales. I hadn't employed a business development sales tendering, you know, kind of person. I had, that was kind of the last thing. And I didn't think about that because I never right. thought about the fact that, so we went, you know, in the next six months after that, we hired our first salesperson and our sales team now is like 10 people. You know, we had a marketing team of 10, a sales team of 10. Where we are today is I'm, I'm really looking at, you know, what's the, what's in the crystal ball and what's over the horizon. But yeah, that I guess those are the lessons is, you know, you've got to do less to be able to do more. You, you've got to do, to be able to grow, you have to prune. You know, like if you're growing, if you're doing gardening and you're growing hedge in the garden, you've got to prune yep. it to shape it to how you want it. You let it grow, you see where it goes, you prune it back, you let it, you know, and if you want your hedge to go up, you've got to prune the sides to get it to go tall. So I think that um, that that's a couple of lessons. So for me, we then go, okay, we look across the organizational chart, we start drawing an organizational chart and saying, okay, what positions have we got? You know, whether it's a, you know, whether it's a football team or a baseball team, or we look at the positions on the field now and we say, okay, well, where have we got strengths? Where have we got weaknesses? And now I run my business exactly like a sporting team. Interesting. Okay. No, it make, makes perfect sense, right? You know, your strengths and weaknesses, you know, where the production is going to come from. And, you know, that's, it, I don't know if ironic, but one of the, the funny thing is when I meet with owners and even founders is they start to think about, hey, when I start to scale and where do I need to add resources, you know, maybe that's my process side that I've been in forever thinking about, hey, from, you know, the buyer enablement or sales enablement to customer there. To me, it's just, it's a, it's a process, right? That's right. And you look where the bottlenecks are in some companies, it's the delivery. So if you're a training organization, you have to deliver and do these things. You may need five or six trainers for the two people that are selling with the business, but you know, map it out. It doesn't have to be super deep, super complicated, but you start to see patterns of where you're going to have to invest. And you know, it's going to be a good segue a little bit later to get to maybe how that's changed and where the resources are, are going. Yeah. But um, yeah. one question, did you struggle with, you know, I'm sure the early days you had a lot of generalists, really good people that can do a lot of different things. But when you get to a certain size and there's enough dedicated work, you start to specialize. I'm yet to meet a, a, an owner yet that didn't struggle with that transition because the people that have been with you from the beginning, there probably still are. But you have to navigate that role being minimized in their eyes that they're not the, the everything. Just kind of curious, did you have you had those transitions? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, definitely. I can think about, you know, you know, people that have been in the business over the journey because it has been a long time and it's a lot of people. I can think about those generalists. I now have a strategy around that. And this is a really great piece of advice for anyone listening, which is I want you to go back and look at last week. So look at last week and look about, literally go back to your diary because we don't often do retrospectively do this. Like do a year in review or a month in review or a week in review. Go backwards, not forwards. Forget forwards for a minute and just go, what do I want to do less of and what do I want to do more of? And so I did that myself and I literally picked it up from Tim Ferriss. Like Tim Ferriss has got the famous pod, business podcast, got some great advice. And he's like, don't do a strategic plan or a business plan. Do a post, you know, do a post-mortem. Post yeah, 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 yeah. So I do these post-mortems on myself the whole time. And I go, well, you know, life, I'm getting old enough now that I realize that life is not wait, sitting and waiting for this like, like moonshot, you know, it's, yeah. it's it happens slowly. And I, and I've got a really insightful story to tell 
uh, in a moment around what's happened just in the last couple of months for me. But what I'd like to encourage people to do is look at last week, look at your diary. And if your diary's blank, you're not organized. You know, yeah. and then if, you, if your diary has got stuff in it, you can say, well, what did you like doing and not doing? So the first thing is if you can't look at last week's calendar because there's nothing in it, you're reacting every day. So the first thing you want to do is get proactive. So plan next week. So every Sunday night, round about four, between four and five o'clock, I sit down, I crack a beer and I go, right, let me just check my week is set up properly. I've got all, you know, and I look at, I look at, you know, the, the box in my diary. Like I literally have a second screen next to me right now. And all of this week and all of, like my, my life is planned six weeks in advance. I have the beautiful advantage of having an incredible assistant and she, she manages my life. You know, my wife and my assistant talk a couple of times a day. I talk <laughs> with her a couple of times Perfect. a day. Yeah. You know, and so there, there's a really good, she works remotely. She lives a thousand kilometers from where we are. She's moved to a beautiful beachside location just south of the Gold Coast. Um, so she, her husband's building a building company. They're young. She's working from home. She's doing great. So anyway, that's an ideal scene for a lot of people. And I appreciate that. But in the postmortem of last week, I can look at last week and I've say, what did I do? I'm having too many catch-ups with people. I'm having too many little, little like one-hour meetings. And so I said, look, going forward, change every one-hour meeting to 25 minutes. So I can fit more meetings into the day. I need the five-minute break to go to the bathroom or get make a coffee or a tea or a quick bite to eat. And then, you know, so a good day for me is 13, 14 meetings on Zoom or whatever right now because of the pandemic. And I can just smash through them and I got that five-minute break. They can go over time by a little bit. Um, she's everybody that books them. She's really tight with them. So and I get, I've got the assistance and I get, I've got more money for resource and stuff. So small business owner, you've got to do that yourself. So Sunday night, get ready to plan your week and just go, okay, look at last week. What didn't you like doing? Don't plan to do things you don't like doing. <laughs> when that started to work for me, I went to my managers and I said, you've got to do this. You've literally got to do this because then I want to see the cracks. And so we have this, this agenda item uh, with our ma monthly managers meeting where we say, I want to know, frankly, you've got to be really frank about what you're failing at because they know that I'm coming in with a resource where they're frankly failing, where that thing is their strength. And so if we've got, like, if you think about a high-performance team on a field, if you've got two players and there's a weakness between them and a crack between them, you're going to put something in that, like you're going to move the team into defense. You're going to move the team into offense. So you've got to manage your team. And then you've got, to, you know, this, the advanced masterclass on this is then you've got to look at your competitors. So as a business owner, there's two things. You've really got to be managing your own process. But if you relax, your competitor will attack. Yeah. So, so you've got to be, you've really, you know, we in business, we talk about competitors, but we fail to realize that it's the team on the other side of the field who's attacking and they're, and if you don't, if you don't do the right thing by your customer, your goal, you know, yeah, then, yeah. then your competitor's going to score a goal. So if there's one sale available, you get it or your competitor gets it. You don't want to lose that sale to your competitor because right. it has a doubly compounding effect. Anyway, that's a separate discussion. So the tipping point for me was delegate and elevate. And the tip here is look at you. Look at how you're drifting. You drift towards the things you like doing and you drift away from the things you don't like doing. So as the leader, the founder, the entrepreneur, even a manager, if you're listening to this, look at your team around you and look for the cracks and don't say, hey, you got to fill that crack. Let them go. So I, let, I literally untie the rope and I let people drift. And we talk about this. I, I, and I say to the managers, to their teams, watch where your people are drifting let them drift in that direction. Keep saying to them, what do you want to do more of and what do you want to do less of? And then hire for the less because then when we're going into a recruitment phase to grow the team, we say, we've got a whole bunch of people who don't want to do this task. Are you passionate about that? Now, yeah, if someone exactly. walks into an interview and goes, why don't they like doing it? I don't want to do it. It's like, you're not the right person. See you later. Next. And they say, I can't believe they don't like doing that. I love doing that. Okay, you're hired. Right. Steph, I, I actually love that process. And I've never heard, you've taken it to the next level, right? Because I do, right, review your day. Actually, I don't think a lot of people do the postmortem from the week before and look, look ahead. Um, 
But then two, you're right, man. We got to double down on people's strengths and we and strengths on what they like to do. And there's there's always somebody likes to do something that you don't. Absolutely. And that man, that transition must have been hard, but it's got to be unbelievable rewarding for not just you, but the team to be able to do what they want, yeah. right? The the easiest way to create a great culture is just let everybody do what they want to do. Right. Like, so hire people that like you got to get stuff done. So I did have this transition like about 10 years ago, I went, you know, I hired a management consultant, come in, help me. And this management consultant was, you've got to hold people accountable. You've got to write policy and procedure. You've got to have system and process, put all the graphs on the wall and everybody needs a job description. And if they're not doing it, you know, you, you counsel them and you performance manage them. And and I was like, and I and I felt I fell into that trap. It's sure. Like, no, yeah. You know, stay on your post, stay in your position. You know, everybody's got to have a post and stay on your post. And then, you know, funny story, I read this book by Seth Code, Seth Godin, yeah. great author. If you if if anyone listening is not following Seth Godin, follow Seth Godin. And Seth Godin in one of his books, he says, Don't tie the cow to the post. And that's what I was like, what you know, you hear business owners say, Oh, I'll let everybody have a long leash. Don't have a leash. Like, yeah, take the leash off. Take right? the leash off. It it's hard. I I hear everybody, you know, and and it's easy for me to say this because you know I've paddled, I paddled hard, you know, and I caught the wave, and I'm surfing, and I've got like the best wave, you know, on the planet right now, and it's amazing, and it doesn't come without hard work and the lessons. But I guess my strength that I have for the audience is I can break these things down and and tell the story and make it look simple. What the audience, what you guys listening have got to really think about is, okay, how do you break that down? You know, how do you analyze that? How do you build your confidence? And and I do offer to everybody, if you need to send me a direct message to, to have me help you build the confidence to make this leap, I can show you the stepping stones across the river. You know, there, there is a raging torrent and, and I can show you where to place your feet on your journey and the steps, the steps that I took. And, you know, the mistakes that I made were, you know, forcing people to do things they don't like doing, you know, thinking I need to hold everybody accountable. It's ironic how counterintuitive it is. It's literally the opposite. Yeah. No, again, back to my time in corporate America, 100%, right? Right. We had everybody's accountability, build silos, handoffs, and just everything that's wrong with companies. What you could get away with it back in the day, especially on the B2B side, because everybody was doing it. And like I said, when I came plus side of the pandemic, if anything, it, it just it's created a bunch of new opportunities as crisis creates opportunities. Yeah. And I think the way you're building that team, you're ahead of the curve. And, you know, with this podcast being the zero to 10, right? Most of these companies and teams are either just starting or in the process. Now is the time to do this so it can go with you versus yeah. trying to rebuild. It's almost impossible. So now I, I love that advice. And that's yeah. the first time I've heard it to that level of detail too, which is cool. Yeah. So the, the final disclaimer is what if I've got someone who wants to do something that we don't offer? What do I do? The best thing that you can do, most founders, entrepreneurs have got huge networks of people. The best thing you can do is to work your network and say, you know what? I've got to get this person out of my business as quick as possible. And, and I want to find them a nice home. So it's about sitting with that person and saying, look, I'm sorry, but we've got this work here that I get you don't like doing. And there is the work that you love doing or the thing you want to do that's in other organizations. And so just tactically what we've been doing with people like that in our team lately is we run a one-on-one session. We get on LinkedIn and we search the skill set that's attached to what they like doing. And we show them the companies that currently employ people doing that thing. And you, the, the LinkedIn database is getting more and more powerful every day. Unfortunately, it's taken kind of 17, 20 years to go viral. Unfortunately, right. LinkedIn it didn't yeah, do yeah. what Instagram did or Facebook did. But right now, LinkedIn is getting a huge amount of momentum. And you can search skill and it'll give you people with the skill. It'll give you people with the skill. You can see where they work. You can see where they've worked. And, and then their network is endorsing them for that skill. And so if you can attach the skill, if you can figure out the skill that attaches to the work they want to do. So I did this with a junior person just two weeks ago. We just said, look, we can clearly see you don't want to be here. You're not enjoying our industry. You enjoy the work, but not our industry. We can see you want to move into fashion. 
And so we searched for the skills against fashion industries. And in fact, I just said to her, tell me 10 companies that are your favorite brands that you would die to work at. And she was like, oh, you know, she, she gave me three or four. We searched them on LinkedIn. We found the founders. I made her send connection invitations. So she's now opening up conversations with the That's founders awesome. of those companies, the brands she loves. So, so then she leaves. We're on good terms. There's no bridges burnt. I'm, I'm patient. I can like let her go through kind of recruitment processes. That's happening right now. I'm not going to name who the person is, but sure. we've done it three or four times with people. And, and so we offboard them really quickly. And then you've got the amazing opportunity to go back into the recruitment process and go say, okay, you are the smart, everyone listening, you're the smartest you've ever been right now. You're the most experienced you've ever been right now. And you've got to keep improving and you've got to have new versions. And so your recruitment process is going to be every time you go through it, you're going to get better at it. And the case in point that I use is the very first iPhone I bought was an iPhone 3. I've had every single iPhone from an iPhone 3. I've now got an iPhone 12 Pro Max. There has been nine versions of iPhone. So your business is going to keep having versions and you've got to think improved version. You've got to define your recruitment process. You've got to knock out, you know, just on a blank sheet of paper with a pen, step one, two, three, four, five. I believe there's 10 steps to the winning formula for recruitment. And in fact, you can get that for free off my website. If you go to bestpractice.biz, there's a winning formula for recruitment guide. You can click the button, no email address and read it. It's my procedure that I use free. So so then I don't skip a step in that process. So then I say, okay, we've got a gap in our team. Think about football. Like I see you've got Iowa State on your jacket there. So if you think (laughs) about the the team, whether it's baseball or football, you know, or, 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 or netball or pick a sport, you know, or soccer, so you, you just say, okay, well, we've got a team. We can see a player is attacking through a gap. We've got to fill that gap with someone. And, and what they do with rookies at the beginning of the season is they say to the rookies, just go on and do your thing. And that's what I do with people. I say, just go on the field and just do what you love doing because I don't need to help you love your job. You right. just love it because I'm letting you do what you love doing. So the, so the culture in our organization has that as its base foundation you know, we we play a little bit in the top ends of top end of really great culture with initiatives, but the first way to build a great culture is is to help people do the work they love, either for you, or offboard them to do the work they love with someone else, and use your huge amount of value and network to help someone. Oh. And and they will, you know, I can think about people that have done that for me when I was, you know, in my late teens and my early twenties. The people that helped me. They are the memorable managers in my life. 100%, yeah. Yeah. And I think it, this ties back again, where I think you were way ahead of the curve, you know, when you're talking about, you know, employees first, team first, then customers and everything else takes care of hundred percent, you know, and it, it took me a number of years to finally come to the realization. Cause I was like, man, if you have the right product and you execute, you're going to build a great company. But the more folks I talk with you and people just, you know, the, the beauty of this podcast is, you know, 125 conversations now. If you go an open mind, you're going to learn some things. And I've completely gone, you know, 180 on this with you. I'm like, start with, if, if the employees aren't excited about what you do and they're not happy to be there, your customers certainly aren't going to be. And then where's the business going to go? Yeah. And you can out execute, but I don't think, I think you're working twice as hard on the same process. So yeah, I've been kind of enlightened in the last few years with the, the importance and how badly most companies do what you're doing or don't do it at all. So, and even to, to tie off of that, that, you know, the folks that have gone through and you've helped them find out, they're going to tell a hundred other people how cool that was that they help you help them get into their, their dream job. And they're like, that's the place I'm going to want to work. So yeah, I think it's going to pay off. It probably already is paying off for you, but just as you scale, and then there's people who can say, that's not scalable. I'm like, yes, it is. Right. Cause you start bringing folks in that have that mindset and it keeps repeating itself it's you can't scale it if you don't if you're trying to rebuild which again which again i want to be respectful of your time we probably talked for three hours but i do want to get into the you know i had somebody on the podcast marty sanchez wow three or four months ago and he coined the phrase the rise of the inbound ceo right because really hard to separate you as the owner from the brand Or you don't want to anymore, right? I just trying to grow a brand that doesn't isn't humanized, right? Is is makes it even more difficult. And I know when we started 
yeah. connecting a, a little bit ago, the amount of activity and the content that you guys put out, the forms and the free ungated stuff that you put obviously was a strategy. Is this something recent adoption or when did you start to realize the power of, of the content and how that's going to help you drive the business? Yeah, that starts with an enormous regret. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, so my son was born in 2011 and my wife at the time was our marketing manager for, for a short amount of time. So we went on that big trip and then she came back and she actually resigned re, after that trip, resigned from her job about three, uh, probably six months later. You know, through no, this is 100% my responsibility. I'm not blaming anybody. It's, it's my fault that I built our first website. You know, I, I built on Dreamweaver. I wrote the HTML Dream, code. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, this is, so we're, we're talking kind of late 2004, early 2005. Um, I launched the website using a dial-up internet connection. Um, you know, we're talking like kilobytes per second, not megabytes a second. Yeah. You know, and it would take, it would take six hours to upload the website. Um, you know, you make a change and, and I was, con- you know, I was in there making changes and I kind of like, this is about, you know, you know, perfect is, you know, perfect is the devil as far as business launching is concerned. Like you just, just don't go for it. You've got to get version one and version two and keep, you know, you know basically be, you got to be working on the, on the engine of the race car while you're racing it, you know, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you've got to have your fingers in the, in the fully operational cylinders, fixing things. But um, so what I might, we hired somebody and, and we started to build a marketing team and, and they were uh, great people and did great work. But one kind of thing that I regret doing was we switched off Google AdWords because, the, you know, the team weren't happy with how the website looked to represent the brand. And, and kind of we had this two, three-year project to kind of do and relaunch the website. And so they weren't, conf- they, when I left them to manage that, weren't confident to point our AdWords at our dysfunctional website. So... So I just like, okay, okay, you know, and so my fault was I didn't kind of get in and say, no, we've got to keep this running. So I regret not going really hard on AdWords really early. So how that plays out today um, is that with social media, I went really hard on YouTube about six years ago. And then based on this kind of driven by this, I see this incredible opportunity. And I do see a long way over the horizon. I'm going to see what's happening. So right now, my piece of advice to everybody is, is I really regretted not going hard on, on Google. And the way that I felt about Google AdWords is the way that everybody listening to this feels right now about TikTok. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, so you like, so I'm saying go hard on TikTok right now. And you're like, you're an idiot. <laughs> so, so what was happening was I regretted not going hard on AdWords because people were saying, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. That's wrong. It's wrong. AdWords. Now we spend you know, between twenty-five dollars and $50,000 a month on AdWords, Google AdWords. So, And when you're the ad, just to clarify, it's not all transactional ads by now. It's more creating the awareness. Brand awareness. Okay. Brand awareness. And so if anyone is contemplating TikTok and you're like, eh, you know, it's for 12-year-olds doing dancing, it's not. They've just brought out their ad product and the ridiculous amount of organic reach you can get right now on that platform is incredible. So what AdWords was doing was if you spent money on AdWords, your website would get an artificial lift from an SEO perspective. And so my website wasn't getting lifted and I wasn't spending money on AdWords and I regret doing that. So anyway, long story short, we went really hard six years ago on YouTube. Uh, We basically did a video every single day for about four and a half years. We've kind of backed off. Uh, We went hard again last year at the start of the pandemic. We went live twice a week. So we have this thousand videos strong youtube channel now what we're doing is we're lifting some of those videos with youtube advertising so we're lifting the views and the behavior we've seen on youtube is that you are more likely to watch a video if you're doing research to learn something on youtube yeah you as an individual and everyone listening is more likely the behavior is i'm more likely to watch a video with thousands of views than a video with two views so i'll do my search and I'll, I'll look at the list and I'll see videos with lots of views, videos with no views. Now, the video with no views might be a better video. Right. The presenter might be more influential. But social proof of numbers of views is, well, it's got lots of views. It must be good. Right. Yeah. Right, wrong, or indifferent. You're right. You, artificially, you can inflate that. Yeah. So, so what we do now is we take our videos, we, we test them with our email list, we test them with our audience. We've been practicing a lot. 
you know, we've, we've, there's so, there's thousands and thousands now videos. There's about a thousand public videos, I think, on our channel because we're, we're playing with them. What we now do is we artificially lift the views with advertising. So we basically put it as a pre roll ad. Um, we look at what other people are searching and we serve our video over the top of, um, you know, people, oh, I'm going to make money on YouTube. I'm going to turn on ads. So I look, you take that opportunity. I run my video in their ad slot. They get a bit of money. Great. It's a similar topic. And so I'm getting my sales videos, my marketing videos, my advice videos to lift in terms of views. So then organically, they still sit there and people will watch my videos. And so it's like a turbo charge to yeah. the process. I don't know if I've answered the question, but digital strategy right now is the internet is giving you the opportunity for your catalog to be open for your customers to look 24 seven. And I think if you're ignorant to that and you ignore that and you are taking time. So, so what does that look like? You should, as a small to medium enterprise operator, you've got to be editing your website daily. And if it's not daily, it's weekly. And what is that? A blog article once a week. You know, keep tweaking the words. One of the hardest things on websites I've found over the years is to write all the words um, and have it as influential copy, you know? Yeah. And so you've got to resource that. So as a small to medium-sized enterprise, you have to invest weekly in a person, a casual, a contractor, a consultant, an outsourced person to be on your website updating it every day because your neon sign you know, it's nighttime ev everywhere in the world. It's Vegas. <laughs> and it's daytime everywhere in the world all of the time. And the internet is everywhere in the world. So whether it's your neon lights are on 24 hours or your front door is unlocked 24 hours, like it or not, there's only about four hours, literally, I think for you guys about Saturday night before our Monday starts. So there's really only... You know, there's only kind of a the weekend's only about four hours. I think if you actually look at the whole time global time zones, yeah. No, that's interesting. No, it, absolutely right. And I think that's where a lot of the big misses are. Is hey, I want to start scaling. I'm gonna hire more salespeople. I'm like, man, yes. But if, if we've talked, you know, that's one to one and hand to hand combat. And you, every salesperson can hit their quota and do really well. Really hard to scale a business one on one. You've got to do what you're talking about is get, you know, again, my super simple get known, get leads, get customers, keep customers, right? That's Where right. most of these small businesses struggle is get known, right? I, even I, as a small business, it can do a much better job of, you know, raising light. Yeah. I had uh, the hype man on, Michael Sheen, you know, he, yeah. he wrote the book, The Hype Book. And he's like, do you really have a good product if nobody knows you have a good product? I'm like, that's really fair. And, I know there's changing and moving parts and how to do it. But again, it's just getting out there. You coming on this podcast, talking about your business. I had uh, Norman Crowley, who's a, uh, an entrepreneur out of Ireland. And this is like his third or fourth company. He did, you know, he's done like software. He did some other services company. Now he's taken on, you know, climate change. So going small project he's, he's hitting, but we, we kind of talked to him like, well, you've done this now for a, well over a decade with different companies. What's changed? He's like, well, where I used to have a team of salespeople out there driving the, the process. Now I've got a team of 30 content people that are just getting us out in front of everybody. And then basically he then micro, he micro processed the internal sales that, Hey, this guy's been really good. More of a concierge can help you find still need that person to help you close the deal, depending on how big your deals is. But, you know, I, I scream at folks, the top of the world. I mean, it's changing. You need to get out there. And I even took a step back and post, as you say, post-mortem, look back and like, is it trend because I'm only bringing people on the podcast that are thinking like this? But I'm like, I, I don't know how they, they were growing and how they're growing now until we have the interview. So, it, there's a big correlation between these smaller high growth companies and content and not just content for content's sake, but like you said, make sure it's out there. And um, I had one long, one last story of Sean Rosenstiel who's coming on. I think he'll be out in a couple of weeks, just recorded, right? He's like, man, I SEO, I don't advise people to build their foundation on it. Like, Whoa. You, I mean, that didn't disagree, but then he put the context around and said, Hey, 
that's going to take you six, eight, 12 months. If you build a really good website, get content, and then people start coming, there's things you can do with paid ads to create that awareness that's going to jumpstart that SEO for you. And amen, you know, hallelujah, right? <laughs> I'll give you, I'll give for everyone listening, I'll give you one statistic. This is ridiculous. So during the pandemic, the local real estate website here in Australia is called realestate.com.au. That website has had a 30% increase in traffic in the last 12 months. So that is already a well-established website and it has gone to 30%. Now, that is just evidence of, you know, people are stuck at home. They, what can we do? You know, where, where, you know, accessibility in terms of Wi-Fi is, Wi-Fi speeds are improving cellular speeds are improving, screens are improving, you know, we've got screens in our pockets and you you just look at anybody that's around you in the community, go out for, you know, some exercise outside and look at a, you know, 20 to 30 year old, the minute that they stop, if they're by themselves, waiting for somebody, screen comes out of their pocket and their head is down. I call yep. it a turtleneck. Um, now I'm not critical of that. I'm just I'm not critical. I'm looking at behavior. That's reality, right? So I started my business when, you know, it was dial-up internet. And, and there was, you know, I was emailing companies that my clients had one email address. You know, we had, everybody had an email address when we started. And I was dealing with companies that had one email inbox, you know. Like yeah, no, right. Some probably still do. Just have one email inbox. <laughs> we have one fax, one email inbox, and one letterbox out the front of the factory. So, um, you know, it's, so, so, so I think the, the lesson is you've got to look at yourself as a consumer. And the other thing too, my, my other piece of advice, the, the observation I've made, my buyers, the average age of my buyer that I'm selling to stays the same every year. So as a, we, get, we all get older and we kind of think we're being a focus group of one in our in our, in our own head. Focus sure. group of one. Don't be a focus group of one. Like I've got to say that. Watch your buyers and then try to estimate. Are your yes, you may be doing business with the same people year on year, and everyone's getting older, and ha <laughs> you know, everyone gets a walking stick. But I think the thing that I observed about four or five years ago is like, actually, hang on a minute. The people we're dealing with are turning over. So at our clients, they're turning over, and they're kind of hiring the same or similar people, same age bracket. So if you see that is the case, somebody who is now 20 in five years' time will be 25. So you've got to look at the 20-year-olds because they bring their habits into right. the buying cycle. And so, you know, the, the team that helped me, you know, all the, all the young team members that helped me, sorry about the dog barking. No worries. Um, is... Um, the team that helped me, they all follow each other on Snapchat for their geolocation. They don't use Find My iPhone. They're all connected with each other on Snapchat. And then the reason they use Snapchat is to see where each other are. Right. And so, you know, whether they're going out clubbing, not in a pandemic, but, you know, whether they're sure. going clubbing or going exercising or going outdoors, they can see where their friends are physically located. And so if you do any business in the next five years with the generation that are coming through that, that geolocate each other on Snapchat, your business will need to embrace Snapchat. Yeah. And you can't deny that. And so you've got time. What's exciting is you've got time. So say, for example, you've got a fleet of drivers and those drivers will be 25 years old in five years' time or 26 years old in five years' time you need to make sure you're starting to think about how you show them on a, on a screen where each other are on a map. And that will be part of team culture. I want to open up a map. I want to open up an app and I want to see where my team members are uh, so I can connect with them. Oh, I see you wherever. And it's just they're thinking three-dimensionally about their, where their team members are, not just the fact that they're on, on the phone. So, you know, I'm old school. I've got my favorites phone list. And whenever I get in the car or whether I've got a free moment, I just pick up my phone, go to my favorites list and call somebody and talk. Um, I'm old school sales on the phone. Yeah. Um, these kids now, are, I want to know geographically where they are. And then they, they DM each other. So the chat 
component of our business. I'm struggling with it, to be honest. Um, but the, you know, we're hearing about people using Slack channels and Slack chat. Um, at best practice, it's Google chat. And, and they, the chat on our, in our business is out of control. It's, it's not in a bad way, but it's just. Yeah, no, it's preferred channels. I'm struggling. Yeah, you're 100% right. And again, it comes back to why I'm so optimistic about small businesses and being able to accelerate because, again, you know, part of, and probably have a whole other discussion on this, I'm confident you could build a 10 figure business with like 10 people in your go to market if you got Easy. the right content process, Easy. right? Easy. So. Easy. With no startup capital. You know, I would argue with no startup capital. Like I'm all about build with no capital. Yeah. Um, I think that is the ultimate test of your of your product or service is if you can build it, you got to ask that question. If you need capital to build it, it's a dumb idea. Start there. Prove to me why it's good. Because if you can build it where your customer pays you up front as a cash flow positive business, that's going to be far better than any business. You know, you're going to have a gun. If you go raise capital, you're going to have a gun to your head from day one. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in terms of they're going to want either A, their loan paid back or B, um, you know, their 10X or 5X of their capital. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of expectation built into that. The ultimate test is a cash flow positive business. I'm with you. I'm old school in that. Is that, you know, <laughs> enter, left to the corporate a number of years ago and thought, you know, starting a venture fund would be fun and help these small businesses. But man, I've I've really been drawn back into the the small business space, right? Because again, the opportunity you got customers, right? You, you've got an ongoing business, and most importantly, you've got cash flow. So, how do you take some of that cash flow, reinvest, and make make the grow? So, I'm I'm with you. I like again, I like speculation because I'm sure there's some really good companies, and history has shown, right? Yeah. Those breakthroughs, but you know, the numbers. I don't know if we've talked about this, but I use it all the time. You know, less than. 10% of all companies get to a million, less than one get to 10. So all these companies raising money never get to 10 million. And I know we celebrate the raises and it's, you know, it's a billion dollar unicorn on, you know, 70 million in revenue. How the hell that happens? It's a whole nother conversation. But yeah, I mean, I think for the vast majority, 95% of the folks looking to build a business, this is the way you do it and you can do it and the opportunities there right now. But Yep. Get that that product and the service and the solution right. And again, they will pay you if you get it right. So yeah, that's right. Absolutely. All right, Kobe. I know I've taken a ton of your time, but I do have to ask you one, one question that I've asked everybody that's been on the podcast. And that is, what is one thing that you'd highly recommend? It could be professional or personal. What's what's top of mind right now for you? Um, my my number one tip without fail. And I say this to everybody is you have to read business books for a minimum of 30 minutes every single day. And if you're, if you're someone listening, earning a wage or a salary, if you're somebody running a business, I guarantee you will double your income if you read for an hour for 365 days in a row. Because what's happening to me, and I, I'm evidence of this, is that last year during the pandemic, I, I literally had some really tough challenges to solve. How do we keep businesses open? How do we keep people employed? How do we still make profit? You know, how do we do all those sorts of things? And I literally had a book on my shelf right here. I sat at this very desk and it solved. I literally read a chapter of a book that saved me a million dollars. So, so my number one tip is I wish that someone had given me that advice when I started because I kind of dabbled in it and I bought books here and there. But, you know, and you saw me do this the other day, we we're talking offline, like we were, we were having that great chat. I literally bought those four books straight <laughs> away from, you know, a combination of Amazon and eBay. So eBay is really good here in Australia for second. I like to buy secondhand books. Like I think environmentally, that's the right thing to do. Um, you know, it's obviously someone, it's better than it going in the shredder. I do want to support the authors, obviously. And the way that I do that is I recommend their books. And so, you know, anything that's good gets a ton of traction in our book reviews and our magazine and our website. So I like to buy secondhand books from eBay, but, but if it's got to be brand new, it's brand new, but, but you've got to be a perpetual, perpetual in perpetuity student. Yeah. I think the biggest, the biggest um, mistake that I see every single business leader, not just owner and founder, but leaders make is the investment in the offline professional development of 
of reading. And it's not necessarily just about blogs, but I think the good thing about business books is they've been through an editor, they've been through a publisher, they've been through a proof of concept, they've been marketed, they've kind of been tested. And so they kind of touch all those social proof influence points. And as an advocate for that, that, you know, I'm sitting right here in, in amongst a huge business book library, my studio in our office has got over 500 business books in it. Um, and so, you know, and, and the things that I'm reading and what's being followed is, is just really great stuff. So then when I get those books, I go into that book and I look for the author's TED talk. If that author was allowed to speak for 20 minutes on the absolute strength, and it goes back to strength. So I'm going to ask that author. I don't want the padding and, you know, you, you need a thicker book because you want to know you're getting your value for your $25 or $30. Right, right. But the author's actually got a TED Talk. And if you look at Simon Sinek, Simon Sinek's gold is in his 15-minute TED Talk where he's had, you know, five, six, seven, I think it might be close to 10 million views now that start with why is his TED Talk. And so he explains that principle. So I, so I just, I can't labor enough and I can't stress enough how important that is to lean into it. I just bought 20 books on mergers and acquisitions. Um, you know, that's the thing that I want to become a student of. Our, you know, we're going to continue to grow organically, but I'm literally, I am now in, I want to start doing deals. We want to start doing acquisitions. We want to start doing divestments. And that, and that is how we're going to grow. Now, just had her on the podcast. Uh... Four episodes ago, Jennifer Bondreve, and she's all about now what survivors guided thriving through mergers and acquisitions. And we had it again. I'm not going through it, but I've got notes in each of the. I think to your point is so good, and it took me a long time to get back into the the reading because you don't have to have a hundred things, right? It could be just a couple of notes that you yeah. got from one point that changes the way you think, and it expands and it really resonates with you. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, really really yeah. good advice. Yeah, and I think the if I was going to recommend one book for somebody who hasn't started that journey, get a copy of Carol Dweck Mindset. And I'm not there yet, so I'm go, I'm going to learn this. I'm a really good student. I'm a you know as business owners and business leaders, we've all got ego, and you know the the biggest mistake we can make is also our advantage, which is I'm smarter than everybody in the room. Right, right. You know? And that is that is we know that's the cardinal mistake, right? But you can lean into that and you say, well, if you're the smartest person in the room, that's excellent. You can learn more because you can go and learn this. So are you smarter than these authors writing these books? Well, maybe not. You know, you can start to pique the curiosity. And, and I just, I know I've labored on this point. No. It's just so important. It is important. 100% agreed. And we'll link that in, in the show notes as well. And yeah, I mean, it's always, always be learning. And I think I, when I started this journey three or four years ago now, wow. You know, I thought I knew everything about B2B and go to market, right? I've doing this forever. I've run these functions, but I would say my core is probably still 75% yeah. what I know. But I've it, the times have changed. People have changed my thinking of the way that we do it. And again, the people component of this is much more critical than yeah. I had anticipated. So now I, I love that advice. And I do need to do, like I said, I think I've had 30 plus authors on. I, I, I did actually take a from our last chat, I'm starting to map out how do I do a little book review video of each of them as yeah. they come through because right. yeah. I, like I said, I read every one before they come on so I can give you the, at least my, yeah, yeah, my, yeah, my yeah. two cents on it. So, so yeah. Kobe, thank you so much for doing this. I do want to have you back on for a part two because I just think there's so much value. But in the short term, yes, people go check out his content. It's unbelievable. He gives it all away, um, which I'm also a big believer in, which changed my thinking, right? Gated. Yeah, I actually yeah. had somebody on LinkedIn the other day, man, thank you for this. And it's, it wasn't even gated. I'm like, I can't say that was my idea, but it's, it works. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so what's the, right. what's the best place to find you, Kobe? Yeah, look, um, our, our website is bestpractice.biz, B-I-Z. And that's our website. You can get me at all my handles on all social media. So Instagram, LinkedIn is just at Kobe Simat, K-O-B-I-S-I-M-M-A-T. Um, you can Google me. Um, I have a, an enormous digital footprint, as you know. Um, I'm really easily reachable on direct message on LinkedIn or direct message on Instagram. Um, my email, I'm going to give it away because I give everything away. It's kobe at bestpractice.biz. So if you want to reach out to me, please do that. You know, I do give all my content away for free because what I sell is proximity. 
So, um, and that's just the value ladder. So I would encourage everybody like, you know, be the person that, that just focus on helping people. I, I don't want money to be the barrier to somebody else having success. Learning, yeah. So if I can give someone a little bit of uh, momentum, I get to brag that I helped you succeed. No, it's awesome. And, and again, even on LinkedIn, that's where I, I follow you most of the time. I got to pick it up on some of the other channels. These your content's phenomenal. So it's coming from Australia. So you're getting it. Or if you're here in the States, you get a little bit of a delayed start, but uh, no, it's fantastic. So Kobe, thank you again for, for joining us. And like I said, we'll definitely have you back on for a uh, more in-depth conversation about the, the here and now and you know how do we take advantage of this. So I appreciate it. Hundred percent, and everybody go well. It's you're only uh, you're only a Google search away from success. All right, man. Have a great rest of your day. Mm-hmm.